This episode of Local Knowledge is brought to you by Ping, the family-owned company that's been helping golfers enjoy the game for more than 60 years. What started in the garage of a frustrated golfer has grown into one of the most respected equipment brands in the game by bringing golfers what they want most, lower scores. Never has a golfer come in more prepared and ready to win than young Al Myers. A virtuoso performance on a virtuoso track by a virtuoso young man. Your 2022 HGGA champion, Alex Myers. I may still be called young Al Myers by members of my golf group, but I certainly didn't feel that way heading into this golf season. I turned 40 in March before playing my first round of 2022, and the last few years, my midlife crisis was actually more of a midlife golf crisis. Since the birth of our first child in 2018, my rounds played had gone down, and my handicap, not surprisingly, had gone up. Baby number two in 2020 only made playing good golf, heck, any golf, even more difficult. To be clear, my two girls are the best things that ever happened to me. I wouldn't trade them for anything, not even the scratch handicap I've always dreamed about. And thanks to a wonderful wife, I'm still fortunate to get out on the course a fair amount. Still, I wondered if my best playing days were behind me, and whether I'd ever slip on the HGGA's coveted green jacket again. As I hit this milestone birthday, I needed to do something drastic. And I'm not talking about buying a sports car or getting my ears pierced. I needed a game plan to get better and make the most of the times I get to play. An actual plan. And one that even included... Fitness. I'm Alex Myers, and this is Local Knowledge, where we usually take a deep dive into some of golf's most compelling stories. This episode, that story is about one golfer's quest to recapture and perhaps exceed his best golf by diving headfirst into something fairly extreme. Yes, it's my story, but it's something I suspect will be helpful to plenty of other parents and aging golfers out there. For the first time in my golfing life, I embarked this March on a long-term process to improve my game, enlisting some serious help by taking part in a 12-week program at the Golf Performance Center in Ridgefield, Connecticut. I would go there for weekly check-ins, while sticking to a routine of working out at home, mixed with frequent trips to the driving range. I would really work on my game. And the best part? I could do it all under the guise that it was for work. The process required a lot of effort, but it was also a lot of fun. And looking back on it, I couldn't recommend doing something like this more. Here's how it all went down. Three, two, one. Calibration complete. Uh, I got to thank uh, my team at the Golf Performance Center. <laughs> Dennis Selman, Tyler Campbell, Dr. Brandt. Love you guys. My sponsors at Adidas. That's right. I have a team around me these days. It feels weird to say it, but it's the truth. The Golf Performance Center bills itself as the Northeast's leading full-time golf academy for athletes of all ages and skill levels. Their staff also travels to work with some of the top college golf teams around the country. But most of the clientele I saw there skewed younger, including 16 junior golfers who go to school there and live in dorms. And the food at campus dining was surprisingly good. Anyway, no matter the type of player, it's a place that preaches a holistic approach that focuses on five key elements. Desire, fitness, coaching, mental game, and equipment. I wasn't just going to get a couple swing tips to improve because, well, that's just not how you really improve. Instead, I got a few coaches to guide me through this process. 
According to Tyler Campbell, the center's director of performance, the goal wasn't to retool my swing, but to rebuild me as a golfer. That sounded pretty heavy, but I was game for it. As he liked to say, you can't have a Ferrari engine with Honda brakes. Not that I had either. As I turned 40, I was clearly losing a step, a step I couldn't afford to lose. Uh, we need to give the athlete what they need at each stage of development. So um, it's not uncommon for us to see, uh, you know, adult uh, golf golfers coming in with many of the compensations or limitations that uh, Alex had. Um, you know, we know that the common, you know, uh, workplace uh, environment of being rounded at your desk, responding to those emails or texting on the phone in the back of a cab or whatever it might be. Um, you know, these are putting us in poor posture. And if we do that over time, muscles shorten, our, our movement changes and limitations, you know, arise. So, um, you know, I would say very, very common compensations that Alex came in with to, uh, right out of the gate. But each person is going to, you know, uh, improve at, at different speeds, you know, just based on everyone being a little bit different. My new swing coach, Dennis Hillman, concurred. At the heart of our philosophy is function dictates form. So you're going to you're going to move in the golf swing or really any motion in golf based on how you can. So um, it's hard to go work on changing technique without really changing function. That's why we really we try to bring the athlete to work on the functionality and work on developing skills. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, kind of the middle is where you'd work on technique that, that link those two. Um, so I think if people spent more time on those other ends, you know, intentionality with skill development and, and uh, working on function, the form will change because the functionality is changing. The timing of this endeavor couldn't have been any better. As I mentioned, I was turning 40 and in need of a serious boost. Never a serious golfer growing up, I'd managed to become a single-digit handicapper in my mid-20s, but after several years in the four range, I was back up to an eight and trending toward double digits. Secondly, my treadmill, literally my only source of exercise during non-golf months, broke in January, and supply chain issues have held up its repair. Third, a pulled glute muscle the previous year led me to seek physical therapy for the first time in my life. And there was also an embarrassing moment in February when trying to rearrange a can in our recycling bin, I lost my balance and fell on my butt. I made such a loud noise that my wife ran downstairs to see what had happened. Needless to say, I was rightly mocked for a few days. So how bad of shape was I in as a golfer? And how are we going to measure this? The Golf Performance Center has developed a proprietary formula to evaluate a golfer that combines both fitness and golf skills called the Player Development Index. Scored on a 100-point scale, it consists of four functional movement exercises and 39 different golf shots, ranging from drivers to three-foot putts. I can also attest that this process tests you mentally, because once you start, there's no stopping and no mulligans. So it's an assessment that produces more pressure than you might think. So what makes up the fitness portion of this thorough exam? There's the deep squat, the hip bridge, the active single leg raise, and the broad jump. All four test various physical abilities that are important to the golf swing, from stability to explosiveness. Not surprisingly, I didn't fare well in any of those four tests during my evaluation. And my golf wasn't much better. I scored a 45.7 on my first PDI, which, according to Dennis and Tyler, is well above a beginner golfer, and even above the average high school player. But there was certainly plenty of room for improvement. We noticed in Alex at the very beginning of this process, he really had no awareness or control of that pelvic uh, segment whatsoever. So our first plan of attack with him was really making sure that we brought some awareness to his 
pelvic girdle. Um, we were able to activate the glutes um, and really bring functionality, if you will, to, to that segment. Most golf fans, including myself, ignorantly laughed when Tiger Woods talked about activating his glutes after withdrawing from a tournament in 2015. My glutes are shutting off and then they don't activate and then hence, you know, it goes into my lower back. So um, I, I tried to activate my glutes as best I could uh, in between, uh, but it just, they never stayed activated. Turns out the glutes are a huge source of power and stability in the golf swing. And I wasn't using them much at all, as indicated by that injury last year. Heck, I wasn't using much of my legs either. As a result, I was lacking in power and stability and flexibility. I needed to use the ground more during my swing. So we started by targeting my legs. And let's just say Tyler had his work cut out for him. I've been skipping leg day my entire life because, well, I've never been a gym guy. And to say I have chicken legs is an insult to chickens. The active straight leg raise, yeah. the way that you're moving into your deep squat, even that though it's one, still like, limited. Yeah, when we, the first time we did it, like, I like didn't even want to like attempt it. Yeah. But this one I was like, all right, I can like kind of do it. Yeah. So like I, I did, yeah, yeah, it'll get there. On day one, I could barely do an overhead squat and my broad jump was brutal. Actually, everything was brutal. Although again, this was to be expected for a 40-year-old coming out of winter hibernation and someone who still vividly recalls failing that presidential fitness flexibility test back in middle school, miserably. But if anyone could get me going, it was Tyler, one of Golf Digest's 50 best golf fitness trainers. Tyler initially prescribed eight exercises for me to do at home without any equipment. I would try to do four at a time and rotate between days. Most of these started with me on the ground because those were the easiest. Tyler compared it to an infant learning how to crawl, then stand, then finally walk. And so I began as a fitness infant. And working on my hip bridge became a top priority to rewire my body to use the glute more to take the strain off my hamstrings and lower back. You know, so I wouldn't require more physical therapy. This is a good test of core strength, if you will. Uh, more than anything, I want to see that the glutes are firing properly. Uh, so often when we have an athlete do this, as we did with Alex, uh, the first time he raises up into the hip bridge and the hamstring or the low back take over right out of the gate. Um, and so that tells us that the, the muscle between those two, the glutes, uh, which we rely on for such, you know, such energy uh, in the golf swing, aren't working. And so if we can get the brain uh, neurologically sending that signal to the glute, we're going to be, you know, step in the right direction. So um, once we get that signal sent to the glute, then, it's, then our goal is to strengthen uh, that segment and, and get them holding that bridge as long as possible. You can check out some of these exercises in our accompanying video. Just go easy on me and my workout clothes. Again, I'm not a gym guy. My wife was really excited about me starting to work out, although she quickly realized this process wasn't going to give me a six pack. But even if the physical changes weren't very noticeable, by the end of the 12 weeks, the improved results, both in the gym and on the course, were. Okay, relax, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. If the name Dennis Hillman sounds familiar, you're either a huge golf nerd or you watched this year's Players' Championship closely. With a break between the second and third rounds on Saturday following a Friday weather delay, NBC aired an interview with Tiger Woods. 
Mike Tirico asked Tiger about his incredible six-year run of winning USGA events as an amateur, and Woods decided to begin his answer by noting the last year he didn't win, and the guy who took him down. When I lost in the semifinals to, I think, Dennis Hillman from Ryan, New York, and Matt Todd ended up winning, um, you know, that, that started the run. How's that for a shout-out? After beating Woods at age 16, Hillman would go on to earn All-American honors at Tulsa before eventually becoming a club pro. And three decades later, the Golf Performance Center Director of Coaching is still known as the Tiger Slayer around Ridgefield. So yeah, again, I was in very capable hands, but my own hands, among other things, weren't quite so capable. Uh, we definitely noticed uh, he wasn't hitting the ball as far as he probably could have. Uh, had you know over the top move and, and definitely was losing the driver to the right. That was one thing. And the numbers when I hit balls on the simulator those first days in March were even more dismal than I thought. I've never been a long hitter by any means, but I was now maxing out at a 220-yard carry with the driver and a 95-mile-per-hour swing speed. And most attempts were even meeker, much meeker. As I looked to Dennis for some magical advice, he constantly reminded me about the whole function dictates form thing. This was going to be a process. We're going to get going with him on the golf side. Yeah, so we're going to take you upstairs, and uh, we'll the first thing we'll do is take you through those 39 shots, right? See yep. if you can execute those shots on command. So we're going to start uh, in the same day with full swing. No. I've taken some golf lessons in my life, and I've generally found them to be helpful, at least in the short term. But Dennis was different. Instead of bombarding me with swing thoughts, he peppered me with questions about what I was feeling after shots. And it was apparent that he didn't want to tinker too much with anything, but rather help me try to figure out how to fix things myself. It was going to take a while because as Dennis said, you've hit a lot of good shots with a bad swing. As is my nature, my psychological profile I took near the beginning labeled me as conscientious and analytical. I peppered Dennis with plenty of questions as well, but he was hesitant to provide answers, especially early on. And there was a reason for that. There's a lot of quick fix approach in the golf industry as if, you know, there's something wrong and, and let's just fix it and golf will be easy if I get the technique right. But you really want to start with the end in mind. What are the skills I'm trying to develop? You know, how does my physical function affect how I move? So uh, we really want the athlete to understand where are my skills when I'm, when I'm stress tested. And then what really happened was Alex started to ask questions based on that or, or the lack of, of skill in certain areas. He started to ask technical questions. So it... It really was born out of his own curiosity and then uh, the development of the skills you know, took place from there rather than a coach saying, this is how it has to be. And why don't you go work on you know, making it correct? One thing Dennis had me try early was making slower swings. We noticed on video that if I swung at 50%, I didn't come over the top as much. So that became a focus when I practiced. Although with the bad Northeast weather in those early weeks, I took the most swings with my daughter's plastic toddler club at night while watching NBA playoff games, watching my reflection in our sliding glass door. When I did start going to the range, a drill which I paused at the top of my backswing a la Hideki Matsuyama helped as well. But while correcting my over-the-top move would take a while, Dennis quickly proved to me how much more targeted practice helped. He gave me a practice plan for the range that had me working on a variety of shots and practicing my short game for really the first time in my life. That's normally the strength of my game, but I immediately saw improvements with my chipping and putting by trying different drills and challenges. And to develop a skill, the first thing you have to have is intention and practice. I think a lot of people approach it, let me get my swing right in practice, and then when I go on the golf course, I'll have intention. 
But you have to start with, there has to be intentionality and practice. And then, you know, some of those stress tests, whether it's competitions with friends or, you know, challenges that you, uh, some kind of stress or simulated pressure that you put yourself under is really going to help you develop the skill that holds up under pressure, whether it's a $5 NASA or, you know, actual, uh, you know, high level tournament play. I also took the first bunker lesson of my life and changed a couple things in my setup. Same with my putting. I hadn't realized I had been setting up with the face closed. In addition, we worked on making more of a swing through the ball to produce a more solid roll. To do that, Dennis had me download a metronome app and set it to 72 beats per minute. I would listen to it while I practiced and before rounds, hearing the sound in my head as I stood over putts. We used something called Blast Motion as well, a gadget that attached to the top of my putter with an accompanying app that measured everything you could imagine about your putting stroke. And one afternoon, we used a TrackMan to dial in distances of all my wedges. I thought of the backswing as the face of a clock now in terms of how big of a swing I wanted to take, and I took notes on the results so I'd have something to draw on when these shots came up during a round. I had been overlooking the simple fact that by focusing so much on the full swing, you neglect the other parts of your game. Even if you think you're pretty good at those parts, there's always plenty of room to improve. Still, like most golfers, I was most concerned with hitting the ball farther and straighter. But to be a complete golfer, there's more to ball striking than that which is where the nine ball flight test comes in. This part of the PDI assessment calls for you to hit a straight ball, draw, and fade on a low, medium, and high trajectory with really strict parameters. How strict? Well, apparently Stanford freshman phenom Rose Zhang went one for nine when working with the Golf Performance Center guys the previous fall. And this was in the midst of a three tournament winning streak. But I worked hard on this as well. And for those of you who don't enjoy going to the range, this challenge might change your outlook. The nine ball flights is a really difficult test, but that really demonstrated, uh, you know, that Alex wasn't able to shape the ball, control trajectory up or down, curve uh, as well as he'd like. So didn't get any ball flights the first two assessments and then really uh, killed it on the third assessment, getting three, believe it or not, is actually really, really good display of ball control. And, and then some uh, close ones on the fourth assessment. So um, yeah, so I, I, we saw a lot of things change. My three for nine performance on that test bumped my overall score to 48.6 for my third PDI. Even if my occasional golf scores weren't getting significantly better, I knew I was improving as a golfer and it felt good. So what about that fourth and final assessment? We'll get to more of that in a bit. When you're a family owned company like Ping that's been in the golf business for more than 60 years, it's clear you've earned the trust of generations of golfers. If you've ever played a ping driver, iron, wedge, or putter, you know what we're talking about. The engineers at ping go to great lengths to make sure their newest products are always better than the previous version. They like to say the product speaks for itself. We've heard that a lot, so if you haven't tested one of their products, it's time you experience a ping custom fitting. They fit every club in the bag to help you play your best, from the popular G425 family to their newest products like the I525 iron, Glide 4.0 wedges, and PLD milled putters. And once you've been custom fit, your clubs are custom built to your precise specifications. You can't get any more custom than that. Learn more about what else sets Ping apart at ping.com. Hello everyone. Let's all hit bombs and showcase those calves. That's what I'm gonna do today. Hit bombs, bombs, bombs off the tee. Hitting bombs, bombs. Let's all hit bombs. I hit bombs. 
No, I'm not quoting Phil Mickelson, and no, I don't actually hit bombs like the ones Phil hits, but I needed a mental game makeover. The biggest club in my bag had become the source of my biggest struggles of late, but now I had a new mantra. Thanks to the work I had done with Tyler and Dennis, I was suddenly hitting the driver better than ever. For me, those pokes of 270 yards sure seemed like bombs. And Josh Brandt, the clinical psychologist at the Golf Performance Center, encouraged me to think that way. I've had plenty of years where I felt good about my game, only to completely unravel under pressure in the one big event I play each year, my annual buddies trip known as the HGGA Championship. The last few trips, a particularly troubling trend had emerged with my driver. Even on days where I couldn't miss on the range, I couldn't put it in play once the round started. We're talking embarrassingly hideous misses. The low point was during the previous year's golf trip to Kiowa, when I truly wanted to walk off the stunning ocean course of all places during the penultimate round. And during the final round, I hit five of my first nine tee shots out of play before benching the driver. It was a nightmare, especially since the rest of my game was good enough to still lose in a playoff, where I was forced to lay well back with a five wood on a 440 yard par four. Under the gun, I couldn't even get myself to pull the trigger with the game's most important club. It was also reminiscent of something that happened to me with my second serve as a high school tennis player. I wouldn't just double fault. I would hit serves that barely reached the net. It got to the point that I would serve underhand just to get it in. But obviously, that didn't result in winning too many points. Perhaps not surprisingly, I stopped playing tennis after going to college. I really, really didn't want to stop playing golf. But getting the driver yips during my most anticipated rounds of the year was beyond frustrating. And yet, like so many golfers who had sought professional help for my swing, I'd never sought professional help for the mental game. When I told Dr. Brandt about my struggles, he quickly told me that they were something I controlled. He said I could determine what role I wanted to play on this trip. And Dr. Brandt correctly guessed that I was playing the part of the Golf Digest guy with the group's low handicap who was scared of embarrassing himself. And that fear was only making things worse. I think uh, for Alex, he struggles with or suffer, suffers from what a lot of golfers do, which is, is having pretty high expectations for their performance. Um, I think one thing that, that, that makes Alex unique, I'm sure others share this too, but there's a lot of pride. He, there's a real passion for wanting to improve and, and, and wanting to get better. And, and oftentimes someone's great strength, uh, what makes him very successful in his life also can prove to be a great weakness in golf. Oftentimes in golf, that level of thought, that level of intensity in thinking can actually get in the way of performance. Because you can become so focused on outcome that you forget about the true intention. Dr. Brandt hooked me up to a heart monitor ahead of my third PDI, and the results were staggering, at least to him. As we went through the numbers of my heart rate and heart rate variability, it became very apparent that under the pressure of this assessment, my body was reacting big time and usually to my detriment. Not surprisingly, those struggles manifested most with the driver. Even before the PDI started and I was warming up on the range, my heart rate spiked when Dr. Brandt asked me to assess my relationship with the club. It's a love-hate one, I responded, and the numbers back that up. Overall, my heart rate at the moment before I hit shots averaged out to 127 beats per minute. With the driver, it was in the 134 range, including a 151 ahead of my sixth and final attempt during the driving portion of the PDI. That's the equivalent of my heart rate when I'm at full sprint, and yet this was just me setting up to hit a golf shot. Pretty wild. You know, Carol Dweck and the fixed growth mm -hmm. mindset, right? There, there's a, there's a, 
I don't see you as a fixed mindset guy in many no, ways, no, right? No, no. You're not. You're I, I, I can learn, I can grow, definitely. I can write. Um, but we also want to kind of weed out the, those fixed moments, like my driver or this trip. Yeah. Or, right? Because those are fixed moments. Fixed moments. Rather than say, no, I can I can make this be whatever I want it to be. Yeah. Right. And I know if I choose negative or or defeat, well, odds are I'm going to create that experience for myself. Right. So how can we get you living into right more a different way of thinking about it? It's funny that I've never really paid much attention to the mental game. It's even funnier that I've remained that way even after marrying a psychologist. I've always just thought I'm a choker under pressure and that's that. So it was reassuring to hear I was capable of fixing this problem, but I was still skeptical I could actually do it. In any event, I was eager to try anything Dr. Brandt suggested. We took on two things at once. By working on his breathing, by getting him to relax, to deactivate a stress response, it gave him an opportunity to, to get more focused on, I would say, proper target, right? Because we can get so focused on technique on thought and performance that we forget about where we want to hit the golf ball. So by getting him into a better uh, psychophysiological state, um, a calmer state, it allowed him to, to connect to a proper target, which really is where he wanted to hit the ball. Working on breathing and connecting to the target. Those two things may sound easy, but I can assure you that to properly do them throughout an entire round of golf is tough. Let's start with breathing. There are a few methods out there, but I went with coherent breathing which is essentially taking deep breaths that last the same amount of time for both inhale and exhale. The purpose is to regulate the negative effects of stress on the central nervous system. I downloaded a breathing app and did exercises at home. I started doing them at the driving range. I practiced while I was driving my car, and I did them while going for runs. I settled on a routine in which I would inhale for four seconds and exhale for four seconds while standing behind the ball, then doing it again as I take my setup. And yes, internally telling myself, I hit bombs. Hey, don't knock it until you try it. Um, after the prescriptions of, of giving him some uh, breath work, really asking him to settle into his shots, making sure that he's connected to his proper target, which is where he wants to hit the ball, it was pretty remarkable. Not even in college had I been so nervous for a final exam. And I certainly never prepared this much for one. Ahead of my last PDI assessment, I made a big late push of basement workouts and practice sessions, bringing my total of driving range trips to 31 for the 12-week period. I could almost feel the Rocky theme song coursing through my veins. I was so fired up. But I didn't want to let my team down. And I'm happy to report that I didn't. I jumped up nearly five points on the fourth and final PDI to 53.4. Again, there was still plenty of room for improvement, especially because I only got one of the nine ball flights this time and three of the six drives in the fairway. But that's golf. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. What I could count on now, though, was doing better in those four fitness tests, in particular the hip bridge, where I doubled how long I could hold it, going from a combined 85 seconds in the first PDI to 171 on the final, and in the broad jump, where I gained nearly a full foot from 62 inches to 71 inches on the fourth test. But the craziest numbers came from my heart monitor. So it was almost a, a 20 beat per minute drop. And, the, and again, the reason that's significant is because, I mean, think about it. If you're just standing there putting, right, you're, you would think your heart rate would be somewhere like it would be just standing, right? So maybe 95 to 110, somewhere in there. Um, but, but clearly we know that thoughts affect our bodies and, and 
and, and the, uh, the assessment time before, his heart rate was jumping up into the 130s, right? So clearly thinking about something, thinking about performance, putting pressure on himself to succeed was getting in the way. It was elevating his physiological response. Um, and today he was able to drop that significantly and not a surprise that he was uh, performed a lot better. Even better news, my scores on the course were starting to come down just in time for my big golf trip. As you know by now, I won my annual buddies trip, which was contested for the first time in Wisconsin, and which you can probably tell by now, we take way, way too seriously. But it was how I won it still blows my mind, being carried by my driver, and even making a must-make birdie on the final hole of the penultimate round just to get back into the championship match. Instead of choking, I actually came up clutch, and I can safely say it wouldn't have happened without all these different sides coming together. As the old saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child, but it also took one to rebuild this 40-year-old golfer. Until now, I haven't even mentioned the extensive equipment testing I did at the Golf Performance Center with Gabe Carr Harris, which had resulted in a new five-wood that, other than the driver, became the MVP of my bag. Gabe also played a role in my driver, cutting an inch off the club I had never been fitted for. Dennis got me to change my grip and posture, and Tyler had got me using ground force for the first time. Add it all up, and it's no wonder that I had made my own Matt Fitzpatrick-like transformation from plotter to relative bomber. Matt could still probably outdrive me with his four-iron, but witnessing him smoking it past Dustin Johnson at the US Open only added to my inspiration. Big change is possible, even for us not-so-big guys. By the end of the 12 weeks, I had gone from a 95 mile per hour swing speed with the driver to the low 100s, and my max carry had gone from 220 to over 250 with an average carry in the 240s. I was now hitting my new five wood as far as I used to hit the driver, and I was routinely out driving friends who used to hit it well past me. Yeah, that felt good, but the work with Dr. Brandt truly put everything together and kept it together, even under pressure. If I hit a bad shot, I didn't beat myself up as much. More importantly, I now knew that it didn't mean the next shot had to be bad as well. The coherent breathing had made a huge difference, and connecting to the target, truly connecting to the target, while difficult to do for an entire round, proved to be a game changer as well. I was truly in a zone during the final round. It was like this haze that I've never quite felt before. I was completely drained by the time the championship match was over, but those off-the-planet misses that had plagued me under pressure in recent years never happened. Not once. Even when those bad thoughts crept into my mind from time to time. But one thing that Alex scored really high on was self-awareness. So there's a skill of being able to recognize kind of where he's at and his thinking and feeling at any given moment. So continue to work on simply recognizing, am I present to my intention? Am I locked into my target? Or am I elsewhere? Speaking of being places, after my work with Dr. Brandt, I approached the entire trip with a different attitude. On the morning of the championship match, I sat on the porch, gazed out at Sand Valley, and thought about how thankful I was to be at this spectacular property. I still felt nervous, but I tried to channel those feelings into excitement for playing such a meaningful round, and another opportunity for all my hard work to pay off. And it did, as I shot arguably the best round of my life considering the stakes, a two over par 75 at Mammoth Dunes. I had done it. Well. We had done it. Seriously, to all my peeps at the Golf Performance Center, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
It's absolutely never too late to get started, uh, you know, with a golf performance program. I think I would encourage uh, anybody out there who you know has never looked at their game um, with this uh, level of intensity. No matter what your goals are, you have to start with that first and foremost. What is getting you to the range? What is getting you to the gym uh, to improve? Golf could be an excuse, but ultimately, if you you know if you improve physically, uh, you, you know you're going to enjoy life uh, much much more um, you know for years to come. In other words, you can teach an old dog or rather an old dad, new tricks. At the beginning of this process, 12 weeks seemed like an eternity. By the end, I wish it was 12 months. Heck, 12 years. It may sound cheesy, but I truly realized, like with many things, golf's not all about the end goal. The journey can be just as fun. That being said, slipping on that green jacket, especially after all the time and effort I'd put in, felt pretty darn sweet. So did seeing my handicap drop from 7.8 to 4.9, even if a few of my buddies started bitching about me being a sandbagger. I could count on one hand how many times I had broken 80 in the last two years, but on this trip alone, I did it in five of the last six rounds. So obviously, I'd recommend trying a program like this to anyone. Of course, it's a lot easier to stick with and afford if you're doing it for work like I was lucky enough to do. I was even motivated by the whole process to start running again. Outside, of course, because my stupid treadmill is still broken. Getting in the habit for the first time of making myself get out of bed when I woke up early in the summer light. On a couple occasions, I even squeezed in a run and a small bucket at the range before the kids woke up. Golf dad mode had been fully activated. And despite turning 40, I'm confident now that my best golf years can still be ahead of me. But can I keep up that motivation? It certainly helps to have things to work towards, so after returning from my golf trip, I signed up for my first local qualifier. And I've still got a couple company events. And now that I know what's possible, well... And I would just encourage Alex to continue working on those correctives, uh, reassess uh, every so often, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs> you just might, guys. You just might. Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance for Sam Wyman. Our music for today's episode is called After You, and it's by Ketza. We also played I Hit Bombs by DJ Steve Porter and Scratch. Oh, and the Rocky theme song, of course. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast, Be Right. Thank you.